Good morning, Tapestry. It is good to have you back again. I hope you all are doing well in your homes. Um, one of the things that is coming out of this quarantine, uh, at least for me, I don't know about for the rest of you, but um, is a little bit of perspective on some things because um, it's amazing how many things that we thought were problems in our life that turn out to not really be problems. Right, right. It, it, I, I've come to discover um, how relative the problems in our lives are. There, there are some things that, that seemed like a really big deal um, to me that now don't seem like such a big deal. And I'm sure there's things with you, if you think about it for a minute, there's things that seem like a real big deal to us. And if people who didn't have the things we had or from other places might be able to look at some of the things that we thought were problems, they, they, would, they would laugh. And there's things, there's things that we think are problems in our life. Like, and these are all things I've heard, that, that things like, well, my, my new car has more road noise than my last car. It's really driving me crazy. It's a problem. Or, I, I, don't, I don't have enough room in my freezer to put everything whenever I go shopping. That's a problem. Right? The, the commute to work is 15 minutes longer from my new house than it was from my old house. That's a problem. My cell phone only has 160 gigs and I always have to delete pictures anytime I want to take a picture. That's a problem. I don't want, I don't want to upgrade to Netflix, but too many people keep using my account and it's a problem. <laughs> and we hear these things, but, but beyond our first world problems that we have that aren't really problems, um, there are some serious issues in the world. And it doesn't take much to find them. This virus, um, which is an actual pandemic, no matter what kind of crazy conspiracy theories you've come across on the internet, it is. It's killed over 33,000 people in the United States so far. Uh, beyond the virus, I just saw a wonderful article the other day about how the experts are predicting um, an extra active hurricane season this year. And so we have that to look forward to. And as I was thinking about it, all we can hope is that there's not another big one like Katrina, which came in and destroyed a large section of the Gulf Coast. And a tragedy that that was the largest number of deaths of any um, natural disaster in our country. Almost 2,000 people died. There's still people who are dealing with the fallout of that event happening to them. There, there's, you know, if you go back to before that, there's been even bigger natural disasters like a tsunami that killed a quarter of a million people. A quarter of a million people. Right, and, and these are just a few natural events that are happening. Beyond these natural events, we have things like war and starvation and exploitation and oppression. I mean, all around the globe, these types of things are going on. And all of these events, all of these things, um, when taken together, are overwhelming. But even individually, these things, each of them beg a question. And while individual events will be forgotten and, 
and the stories and the pictures of those things will be forgotten. Um, the question that it raises will never be forgotten. And it's a question that keeps surfacing time and time and time again. And it's a question that many of you have asked and not maybe not because of a hurricane or a tsunami, but, but some type of storm that's gone on in your life. And the question is this, what, what was God thinking? What was he thinking? Why would God allow this? Why, why, why didn't God stop it? Does God even really care? It, is God even there? And then there's the deeper question beyond that, that that's even more perplexing. And that is this, is that if there is a God, it is the problem that he's a loving God, but not all powerful? Or maybe switch that around. Maybe he is an all-powerful God, but maybe he's not loving. Is God good? Can we trust God? I, how about this one? I, I've heard this one put out by some well-meaning people in conversations during some difficult times. The idea of somebody trying to explain away things that were going on and said something like, um, Oh, God didn't cause it. God didn't make that happen. He didn't cause that happen, but, but he allowed it to happen. <laughs> to which when I hear that, I think, oh, well, uh, that's so comforting. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it. I feel so much better about this terrible, terrible thing that's gone on, right? And, and the thing that is significant about this is that it isn't just Christians who are in the paths of these bad things who are asking these questions, asking this question. It has caused people of every faith to ask a version of this question or to come up with um, ideas along this line of thinking. Here are some quotes that have come after disasters and evil deeds around the globe. <clears throat> Somebody said, where is God in this unthinkable disaster. Somebody clearly thinking God is just absent. Another person said, is God all powerful or is he all loving? Because he obviously isn't both. The Archbishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury said this, this has made me question God's existence. I mean, how bad must something be? for a bishop to begin to question God's existence. Another person said this, we are seeing the natural effects of karma. In other words, all of those people in all of those areas where bad things happened, like they, and all of had bad enough karma that it was justified and they were all taken out at the same time. And human I heard another guy say this, human arguments exhaust themselves and God is not accountable to us. This guy's view is we don't know, we can't know, and so just move on. One rabbi proposed trimming out of the definition of God, trimming out um, omnipotence. That is the idea that God is all powerful. This way, God's not the one responsible 
uh, for everything that happens. And if God's not responsible, then this would cause God um, to become an emerging voice of compassion and love in a world that is not totally under his control. So, So another response is to say, God cares. He just can't stop it. Uh, a radical Saudi cleric said this, the water rose to strike non-Muslim vacationers who used to sprawl all over the beaches and pubs filled with wine. So it was his God punishing these people. A Buddhist monk said this, the people are not living according to religious virtues. Nature has given them a punishment. The people have a lesson to learn. Here's something a Catholic priest said. He said, this is a punishment from God because everybody is leading a wretched life. In other words, we are all so bad that God had to do something tumultuous. Then there was a poor devastated fisherman whose village had been completely wiped off the map. And he said this, the mother has butchered her own children. Either there is no God Or God must be cruel to do this. And how do you respond? And not just to those events. How do you you respond to tornadoes that, that wipe out entire towns? Earthquakes that devastate countries. Untold levels of pain and suffering around the world. What is your God up to? And this is an important question because it's one that if it hasn't come up for you yet in your life, in your spiritual journey, it will. And it won't be about some devastation found somewhere in the world. It'll come up about devastation in your life. It'll be about something personal, but there'll be the same questions. God, where were you? What, what, what was God doing? Is this some type of punishment from God? Is this him getting even for some type of behavior? Is there any way to still believe in a good, great God? And look at current reality and what is happening around us and be able to blend those two ideas, those two realities. And every time something like this happens, it forces us to ask not only those questions, but what may be the preeminent question? The question that, that not only will we ask this, but we should ask this. We should talk about this question. And it's not where is God or how could God, but it's this, who is God? And we spent the last several weeks talking about the idea of who is Jesus and Some of the questions that that raised, I feel like this was the next natural progression. That we looked at who Jesus was. Now, who is God? Who are we dealing with here? What is he really like? I, I, I I know 
what I told, what I was told that he was like. I, I, I know what, what I was taught that he was like and how he behaved and who he was. But as I lay that image of what I was told and how I was taught growing up, as I lay that image over the reality of world events, they don't sync up. They don't seem to go together. So, so I have a choice to make. I can, I can pretend there was no tsunami, no earthquake, no hurricane, no tornado, no virus, no loss of life. I, I can just close my eyes to the reality of devastation and, and evil around the world. And I, and I can keep my, my faith in this God that I was taught, this is who God is and this is who I grew up thinking he was. Or... Or I, I can come to the more disturbing but realistic conclusion that perhaps, perhaps the God that I pray to and the God that I trust, perhaps, perhaps that God doesn't really exist. Because when current reality conflicts with your view of God, you would be wise not to ignore current reality but to ask the question, who then is God? If he, isn't, if he isn't the God who helps children get home safely, who is he? If he isn't the God who answers every prayer for protection, then who is he? If he isn't the God who will stop the massive devastation that we've seen, who is he? Who are we dealing with? And those are a lot of questions from Christians, but then there's, there's, the, then there's those who are atheists and they see things happen and they are heartbroken just like us whenever they see this devastation and the evil that takes place in the world. They're heartbroken, but there's a part of them that is saying, okay, Come on, religious people. Let me see you explain this one. Come on, religious people. Let me see how you bail God out on this one, right? If there is a loving, all-powerful God, then this would never have happened. And this proves it, that there is no God who controls everything. Nature is random. You live and you die. There's nothing more. And if you find yourself in that camp, let me throw this thought out there. Is there a chance that you have fallen into the same trap the rest of us have? That, that, is there a chance that you have decided that if there was a God, that this is what he lo would look like? And since that idea of God doesn't match up with current reality, there must not be a God. I mean, be honest with yourself. It, it, isn't that what everyone else has done? Created an image of God and when reality doesn't match up with it? I mean, could it be that you need to ask the same question that the rest of us are asking that who is God? Who are we actually dealing with? And is there a clue in the devastation and the loss of life and the bad things that happen? And as disturbing as it may be, are these clues that you need to track down?
Now, here's the amazing thing. Is that if you're a Christian, all of these devastating events, all of the bad things that take place in the world don't need to take the legs out from under your faith. In fact, we don't even need to flinch in the face of them. It's events like these that actually substantiate what we've been saying all along. But as Christians, we get, we get insecure. We don't know how to respond to tough questions, right? As, as we go looking for ridiculous answers to the question, where was God? But throughout the scriptures, God consistently used all sorts of weather, all sorts of events, all sorts of bad things. And we don't like this. We don't like to admit this. We don't like to think of this happening. But God has used all sorts of these things to get people to stop what they're doing and to ask this incredibly important question, who is God? Who's this God that we're dealing with? If my God can't make it rain, but yours can, who is your God? Why can't my God change the weather, but your God can? Why can't my God stop the storm? Who who is your God who is able to interrupt nature itself? Or even that moment at the cross when Jesus died and there was a massive earthquake and the graves opened up. And the sun disappeared. And a Roman centurion who was at the foot of the cross realized who he was dealing with. And he looked up and he said, truly, this was the son of God. That's that's God's way. And we don't like it. But God has been consistent throughout the scriptures. In those moments when nature is taking its toll on humanity, when things seem out of control, look up and ask the question, who are we dealing with? Now, the interesting thing is this, is that the answer to who God is as it relates to all of these events is found in the very first book of the Bible. In the very beginning of the ancient story of God's interaction with man, we find insights that are needed, that are necessary to piece together the reasons behind the things that happen in nature that we do not understand. And in the midst of that story, God is saying, I am great. I am good. Genesis chapter one. Here's where we discover what God's like as he creates the world just as he wanted it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was 
good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And God saw that it was good. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then you know what he did? He made mankind in his image. And then he gave man the authority to rule over and subdue his creation. So he places them in the garden. And the chapter ends with this. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. When God created this earth, and, and the point of the Genesis account of creation is not for it to be a literal, this is exactly how the earth was created, but was the point that it was God that was behind the creation. When God created this earth and had it just the way that he wanted it, it was just the way that we want it to be now. It was the way that we know it ought to be now. Which leads us to one of the most important questions if you want to know who God is. And that's this, what in the world happened? How is it that evil crept into this world? How is it that nature doesn't cooperate? How is it that people don't do what they know they are supposed to do? Why is it that children don't need to be taught how to do wrong? Children don't need to be taught how to lie. And where did evil come from? Because we know God did not create it this way. Now, before you start flipping through the catalog of your mind and pulling out your Sunday school answer, I want us all to think broadly for a second. Let's use rational thought and not just our Bible knowledge. Where did evil come from? Because evil is like rust. You never ever see rust by itself. It has to be on something. If there were no clean things, there could never be any dirty things. If there were no pure things, there could never be any impure things. And if there were no good things, there couldn't be bad things. Evil is just a degradation of what is good and what is pure. And we live in a world full of degradation. So where did it come from? And here's the more perplexing question, really. 
how do we know that things are not what they should be? How, how, how do we know that? Where did we get the understanding of what is good and what is not good? Well, why is it that I know that hurricanes are worse than the moles that are destroying my yard? They're both nature, right? They're both doing something bad, right? How, how do I know that dead people are not equal to a dead yard? They're both just biological life, right? Well, Andy, I mean, that's just, that's just kind of silly and offensive to, to do that, to say that. But stick with me. Why is it that we know that idea of comparing the life of a person to the life of a yard, where do we get that idea? We know that that isn't right. And why have I not lost faith in God because the moles have killed my yard, right? Because if God were good, he would have stopped the death of my yard. But it never crossed his mind. But here's the point. How are we all able to reach out beyond ourselves and grab a hold of a universal understanding of good and bad? That these events are bad. That the death of innocent people is bad. How are we able to do that? Where did that standard come from? I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. Where did it come from? Well, I don't know, Andy, but now I just have a headache. My goodness, it's bad enough we're trapped in the house and it's a Sunday morning and you're saying all these things. I know. Stick with me. There's a small verse that most of us have just flown by because it seems insignificant. But, but here's what's brilliant about the Bible and, and here's what I believe to be the answer to that question. And I'll, I'll warn you now, what I'm getting ready to say to you is not an emotionally satisfying answer. You're not gonna feel better when I'm done. But that's not the point of this message. The reason that these events don't take the legs out from under our faith is this. And here's what the Bible says. When God put Adam and Eve into the garden, he said everything was good. <laughs> Adam and Eve might've been like, well, yeah, okay, good. Everything's good, but there's no contrast. So we don't really know. We don't understand the idea of not good, but everything was good. And he had one rule, one rule, which should tell you something about God. When things are the way that God wanted them to be, there only needed to be one rule. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. And they said what all of us would have said. Why? Why? And he told them, if you eat from that tree, you will gain something that you do not want. The knowledge of good and evil. You will have something that will drive you crazy for the rest of your life. Listen, the knowledge of good and evil, this is why we know how things should be. And this is why it drives us crazy when things are not that way. 
It's the knowledge of good and evil. People shouldn't do things, but they do. But if we didn't know they shouldn't do those things, it wouldn't bother us when they do them. It's why when major catastrophes happen, we know instinctively, immediately, it is not good. We're aware of what's good. We're aware of not what's good. And it drives us crazy when things aren't good and it frustrates us to no end. And all of this gives us another clue to who it is that we are dealing with when it comes to God. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, God did what any great God would do. He judged that sin. And, and we, are, we are very quick to judge God and say, yeah, God overjudged. He overreacted. But listen, to do anything less would not be a great God. For, for example, if you came across a dad who had a completely unruly, defiant son, if he didn't discipline him, would you think he was a good dad? If you came across a mom in a store who, who ignores her kids as they run around and persecute you as you attempt to buy your things, would you, would you think that she was a good mother? No. Then what would you think about a God whose prized creation disobeyed his singular rule and did nothing. Would you think he was a great God? No, you wouldn't. You see, the, the thing we don't like, the thing that does not sit well with us is this, is that when nature wreaks havoc on humanity, it is evidence that God is a good and great God because he is the God who could not and would not turn a blind eye to sin. Here's how it played out in the garden. Chapter three, God cast his judgment on man. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. So for the pain during childbirth, ladies, you can pin that on Eve. Your desire will be for your husband. And literally that means, translated, that means that your desire will be to rule over your husband. And he will rule over you. Which sounds weird, but here's what that looks like. Man, you, you know that, that dynamic where you know you're responsible, but you don't want to make a decision? And she's wanting you to lead and pushing you to lead and you won't. And so she tries leading for you and it just becomes a real... That's what that is. It's part of the curse. So really what everybody should do is just join forces and say, well, we're all dif- dysfunctional. We can't help it. <laughs> Verse 17 to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, 
you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, <laughs> to which we might think the ground? You're cursing the ground? Yeah, the ground is cursed. That's why you never have to water or fertilize weeds. You don't. The ground is cursed. What you want to grow is a lot of work. What you don't want to grow is there always. It's the curse. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Do you know what the moral of the story is? God is great, and God is good. If only we had been. And if you think in the midst of tragedy that God has gone too far in his judgment of sin, it's because we underestimate how good God is and we overestimate how good we are. And when we think we are good, and we then feel God's judgment of sin, our response is, that's not fair. And God says, you've underestimated my goodness and my greatness, and you've underestimated the significance of sin in the face of a good and righteous God who loved humanity enough to give them a perfect creation just for them to mess it up. And if you are ever tempted to shake your fist at God in the midst of a tragedy, there is a sentiment that lies behind it. And the sentiment is this, God, I do not trust you. You see, God is great and God is good. And because he is, he judged sin the way it needed to be judged. And we have felt the effects of that now as we have the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. And all of this forces us to ask the question, who is this God that we are dealing with? And this is not emotionally satisfying. And if you're intellectually honest with it, it's a little bit disturbing, but it's true. Well, Andy, that's all very interesting, but you haven't really answered the question. <laughs> to which I would say, yeah, that's true. Because this is only half of the story, which is why this is a two-part series. <laughs> So we've discovered the problem. But the question is, can God and will God do anything about it? And the answer depends just on how good God is, which is where we're going to pick it up next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord,
there are a lot of people who have avoided these questions because they are afraid of what it will do to their faith. Lord, there are a lot of people who have tackled these questions and it has destroyed their faith. God, I pray that you give us the fortitude to not shy away from these questions, to address these questions and to face them head on and to dig into them. But in the midst of that questioning, in the midst of dealing with these things, Lord, give us the wisdom. Allow us to be able to hear from you. Guide our minds and our hearts as we deal with these things so that through these questions, we can discover not just that you are, but who you are and how you are. Lord, there are so many things that we can't wrap our minds around, but God, I believe there are so many things that you desire for us to wrap our minds around. And for people dealing with these questions, God, I pray that you use them to lead them to the knowledge of who you really are. Lord, even though these things are tough, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to ask these questions. Now, Lord, I pray that you be with us this week as we make our way through the uncertainty of this virus and this sheltering in place. Lord, Lord, be with us and perhaps cause us to think of these questions throughout the week and begin to engage and grapple with them until we have the opportunity to be virtually together again for, to further this discussion. Lord, I thank you for all you've done for us. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. If you need anything or know anyone who needs anything, please reach out to us. But I look forward to being able to gather with you again next week. Have a good day.